Welcome to season two of In the Arena with Now. This season, we'll be diving into collaborative action and coalition building, transformative practices for healing, joy, and equity. We'll hear from a variety of local leaders and experts about how they're co-designing and co-creating solutions within their communities, all to ensure that children, families, and all community members have access to the critical resources and opportunities they need to lead healthy, thriving lives. I'm your host, Rhonda Alexander, Director of National Partnerships with Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing at Boston Medical Center. In this episode, I'm joined by Rianne Gibson, a researcher, community change maker, and an advocate for social justice through health equity, food systems, community development, and more. Rianne grew up in Boston, but is certainly a citizen of the world, and graciously stopped by our virtual space to talk about the power of collective action when it comes to creating spaces for our communities to thrive. Brianne, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hello, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm Rianne. I am a longtime resident of Boston. I'm actually moving in the next couple of weeks, though, so I'm feeling a little bit bittersweet. But I was born and raised in Boston in the Mattapan neighborhood. And I have just been a part of lots of different initiatives going on in Mattapan and throughout Boston across my life, really, but mostly in adulthood involved, really involved with Mattapan Food and Fitness for over a decade, a really awesome coalition based in Mattapan that does work around food access and transportation justice and just getting people what they need and creating spaces in the community for people to gather and grow food and be active and do all of these wonderful activities together. Um, So I'm really thankful for Mattapan Food Fitness Coalition and the work that I've done with them and the people that I know through the coalition. I'm also a researcher I do uh, community-based participatory action research, so research with community organizations really designed to help those community groups get the data that they need in order to advocate for what they need, write grants, go to the state house, really anything that they need data for where they feel like the data that's out there doesn't actually reflect the true experience. So it's just like a little taste of who I am and what I do. And I'm happy to be here and talk more. Oh, we are so, so excited to have you. You talked about your work in food systems and food justice and participatory research. I'd really love to hear a little bit about your story about sort of how you came to this work and why. Yeah, I came to through this to this work being really interested or learning about injustice. From a really young age, I think I, when I was younger, I was in spaces where there were lots of different people coming from lots of different places across Boston, across Massachusetts. And from those experiences, a lot of like injustice became really clear to me pretty early on, just seeing like classmates and other people coming from wealthier communities and all of the resources that were offered to them and not seeing those same resources showing up in Mattapan and other places that I was existing in and that my family was existing in. So just being a little bit initially confused by that, but then coming into more of an understanding of social justice, I did 
long time ago, the INIT program, the leadership initiative, which is for youth in and around Boston. It's like almost like a social justice camp where teenagers come together and learn about social justice. And so that was a really cool space to be in, uh, to learn and understand what was going on around me. And I think I carried that through into college and beyond just recognizing that there's like a social dynamic to what's going on in the world. And so I studied like psychology and I learned about community-based research and that felt like a really good fit for me. And then along sort of along the same lines, when I, when I came back to Boston, to Mattapan, after living up in Lewiston, Maine for a little while and doing community-based research there and like getting really deeply involved in the community there. I was kind of like, what's going on in Mattapan? Like, who are the people in the community doing things? And that's how I found Mattapan Food and Fitness Coalition. I just sort of, as a very young, eager person, showed up at a Mattapan Food and Fitness Coalition event. I was like, hi, like, (laughs) I'm here. I just graduated from college. Like, I'm from Mattapan. And everyone, if you know Vivian Morris or Chevelle, Olivier or anyone from Mattapan Food and Fitness Coalition, it's not surprising to you that everyone was like, hey, come on in, like, join us in this work. And so it was a really great space to come into and quickly be able to step into a role where I felt like I could actually make change in the community. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that leads really nicely into what we're talking about on this season of the podcast. Our focus this year is really around collaborative action and and leadership. And it sounds like what you've just described is folks just welcoming, welcoming you in. And so when you hear the term collaborative action, what comes to mind? I'd love to hear sort of what it looks and feels like for you. Yeah, when I think of collaborative action, I think of lots of different people with lots of different experiences really coming together to do something, almost like a group project, but the group project you want to be on, as opposed to the group project that's like, oh, all these people are here together and it's not coming together. This is like the group project that you always hope for. That's what collaborative action feels like to me. Lots of people who are aimed in the same direction and looking to make change or get something done together. Collaborative action, it feels in opposition to something being like top down. Like I feel like in collaborative action, a leader sort of emerges as opposed to as being someone who's appointed into the work someone who is like trustworthy and people just sort of see that person naturally take on a leadership role. And everyone's like, cool, that's great that someone needs to take that role as opposed to there being a tension where someone's coming from, from the outside. So yeah, that's what collaborative action makes me think about is really just like lots of people coming together who are aimed at the same goal. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to build on that a little bit. How does joy fit into collaborative action? Joy, I think it's it's really natural in collaborative action, especially when you're talking about community-based work and collaborative action in that way. I think that you have lots of people who really care deeply about something, who want to see the change that they want to see, working with other people who feel similarly 
I think that naturally lends itself to joy. And I can't really put my finger on like what it is, but it, there's something that I, I feel like in my body when you, when I put those two, those, I guess, three words together, collaborative action and joy, maybe it's because I've experienced that. Like when I think about, and I wasn't even involved in this initiative, but then in the end, I think of like the Edgewater neighborhoods food forest initiative that they had over the last couple of years. There's a a community in Mattapan that came together around a vacant space that eventually became a food, this really, really beautiful food forest. And I went to the grand opening for it a couple of weeks ago, having not been involved in the process at all. I'd been hearing about it a lot over the years. And there was just so much joy in the space. And you can tell that everyone in the community had worked really hard to make this thing happen. And then it happened. So there's so much joy in that and people just feeling so much pride and ownership over this space that they created, um, that they came together and said like, hey, we want this and then made it happen. And and I think the city coming together in support of it and everyone collectively just making it happen lent itself to now people feel a lot of pride and a lot of joy in that space. And so I think it's something that comes really naturally, that feeling of like accomplishment is something that is very positive and is very joyful. Yeah. And you talk about your work in, in Mattapan, not just in food systems, but other, other work. So we've talked about joy a bit, right? But how does collaborative action contribute to the, to healing both in, in, in your community? So in Mattapan in particular, but in your work in general? I think that it also healing is also a natural piece of that process. We talk about healing on some other work that I've done. I worked for five years on the Healthy Neighborhood Study, which is a big statewide participatory re- action research project on neighborhoods and health and gentrification and climate justice and all of those really important topics. And we were a collective, it still is a collective, of over 50 different residents and community activists and community organizations coming together to do this, to do this work. And in that space, we also talk about healing a lot, both at the individual level, just having a space as an individual where you know that there are people aligned in value to you. And that when, when you show up in that space, you can show up as your authentic self and you can be honored as your authentic self. I think that in itself is very healing because particularly for communities that have been marginalized for decades, there isn't that space. There are lots of power dynamics in play where people don't feel like they can show up as their authentic self all of the time, or they feel like when they do show up as their authentic self, it's shut down. And so I think in collaborative action, when we have spaces that are community controlled, it allows for the community to be in just like be in the space in the ways that make sense for them. And that itself can be really healing for people to have your peers really be people who know what's up, who know like who you are and what you're doing um, because they see it in themselves. They see it in their aunties, their uncles, their cousins, like just like having that space together is very healing that trickles (laughs) out to the community. that impact or it's sort of a snowball effect. Yeah, I really, I I think that's so incredibly powerful because as we're doing this work, you know, I think we're also 
both trying to heal ourselves individually and as and as communities from within and also without. And so thinking about what that looks like in terms of collaborative action and collaborative leadership, I think are really important to how we tell the story of this work and begin to shift the narrative. And I want to pivot a little bit because when we hear collaborative action, I think some folks, not all, but some may think of it as sort of the antithesis to leadership as we know it. And so what does leadership look like in spaces of collaborative action? And yeah, what does that look like? I think it is different than leadership as we as we know it. Um, it's a different way of being and leading and being together. I think in collaborative action, leadership looks a little bit more like someone who's really passionate and and wants to raise themselves up into a leadership position, having a leadership position. I think that there's no clear one way to look like as a leader in collaborative action, which is kind of the beauty of it. I think of people across the age age spectrum. So you could have young person leading in a collaborative action type of way where the young people know what they need for their community and for their peers. And so they might raise up and say, hey, we have this concern or we have this thing that we want to do. And in collaborative action, what's really nice is that then everyone around those young people says, okay, what do you need? As opposed to someone saying like, oh, well, you're a teenager or you're in school or instead of looking at toward the barriers to one person being a leader who's not a typical leader as someone might see it, it's the community or the people supporting the people who raise up into leadership positions as opposed to someone being appointed as a leader because they have a degree or because they have a specific skill set or because they're a certain age or any of those other sort of qualifications that someone might assign historically to a leader. I think that every experience is on the table as a qualification to be a leader in collaborative action. And then it's up to the group to sort of adjust according to the skills and the sort of like special sauce that that leader provides so that everyone's working collaboratively. Yeah, I love that. It's up to the group to adjust based on the different styles of leadership. I feel like that's a nugget. (laughs) That's a nugget (laughs) for life. Um, I love that. So in your work around collective and collaborative action and sort of coalition building, what's been the most valuable lesson you've learned? I think it is around like this whole idea that there is no one way to be a leader. I think that especially as someone who, this is more of a personal reflection, but as someone who grew up, like my mom was the principal, it was all like my upbringing was all about getting the education, um, learning the things. And then after I learned the things, then I turned around and was like, wait, some of the things don't actually apply, but I've learned them. So there's a little bit of tension for me personally around like, what does it learn mean to know something or to learn something? I think that's how I ended up in research because there's so many different things to know and learn. And what we know may not 
apply to every experience. So the psychology book I studied might may have told me one thing about the way that people show up in communities. But then when I showed up in community, I was like, wait, this is not, <laughs> this is not what I learned because the people teaching me may not have, you know, shown up in community themselves. And so I think for me, something valuable that I've learned is this idea that like we don't necessarily and shouldn't in most cases in many cases especially when it comes to collaborative action and coalition building shouldn't necessarily be looking to what the books tell us about how to be in a space i think we need to to draw so much more from experiences i've had to learn along the way as someone who is more traditionally like book taught is something yeah that's something that i've definitely learned Yeah, it's not all in the books. Mm -hmm. So some things we have to just get out there and do. Rian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to share your perspectives on leadership, collaborative action, solution building, and how working in this way can be healing for our communities. This isn't the end of our conversation, though. So join us for the next episode where Rianne and I will talk a bit more about co-design, innovation, and who owns change, as well as hear some lessons she's learned in her work. I'm also thrilled to announce that registration for the 10th Annual Vital Village Network's National Community Leadership Summit is now open. This one-day in-person event will take place in Boston, Massachusetts on October 17th, 2023. To learn more and register, please visit www.vitalvillagesummit.org. Early bird registration ends on August 18th, so register and reserve your spot soon. Thank you for listening to In the Arena with Now. To learn more about the Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, please visit the online forum at networksofopportunity.org. Along with webinars, blogs, and links to this podcast, the NOW Forum hosts a ton of additional resources through our searchable database. This episode was produced by Rhonda Alexander, Corinne Bauman, and Diana Rivera. Edited by Resonate with music by Akira Sora. In the Arena with NOW is sponsored by Vital Village Networks at Boston Medical Center and made possible by funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.